You're listening to the New Life Church Sunday Morning Podcast. We're a family of believers in Anderson, Missouri, that want to experience God in a real way, both inside and outside the walls of a building. For more Sunday messages, upcoming events, or to get in touch, visit new-life-church.net. The anxious couple sat in the waiting room, excited to see their unborn baby for the first time. Thanks to modern technology, ultrasound machines was giving them this opportunity. They already had one little fella at that moment running around at his grandparents' house, no doubt giving them a month's worth of exercise in a mere couple of hours. A couple of years before when the husband and wife received the news of their firstborn's impending arrival, they were in the throes of organized chaos. Both were attending college classes full-time. On top of that, the wife was working 30-plus hours a week, the husband 40 hours a week. So they greeted that news of their firstborn with fear, anxiety, excitement, and a double dose of stress. It was not a part of their plan. They were supposed to both have already finished their college degrees first, They were supposed to have had prenatal insurance. They were supposed to have had the nicer house and the nicer car first. Yet in God's grace and mercy, he blessed them with a healthy and very energetic baby boy. A little fellow they loved more than they thought was possible. However, when they got the news of the potential arrival of this newest little one, it was met with mostly excitement and anticipation. You see, they had already experienced the preciousness and the miracle of life and knew better what to expect. Plus, it would be a glimmer of joy and hope during a very difficult season where the wife's dad was fighting a terminal illness. In the ultrasound room, the young woman was prepped and ready, her beautiful tummy just beginning to stick out. Her husband standing as close to her as a specially designed bed would allow, their fingers interlocked, both looking at each other with unfettered excitement. If the doctor had looked above their heads at the moment, he might have seen heart bubbles floating above them. As the machine finished warming up, the doctor gently began to play hide-and-seek with the baby. Only the baby was not playing, like babies were supposed to. Like when the young couple had witnessed their first son play the hide-and-seek game on the ultrasound screen a couple of years prior. The husband and wife quit breathing. Their hearts sank. The Holy Spirit doing what he does best interceding with words and groans that the husband and wife are unable to express. This technology that was supposed to show them their unborn child for the first time must be playing some kind of cruel joke or prank. Maybe even some of the pixels had burned out on the screen. Technology has blips and errors all the time, right? The unborn child was there but was not moving. There was no heartbeat. The child was lifeless. After about 30 seconds, 30 seconds that felt like 30 years, the doctor spoke quietly, Confirming what the couple had already known, there is no heartbeat, I'm sorry. I will leave you two alone for a few moments. 
and then I'll come back in and we'll talk about next steps. The husband and wife in shock held each other in the ultrasound room tightly between tears and groans. They began to voice all that they could. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. I sought the Lord in my day of trouble. My hands were continually lifted up all night long. I refused to be comforted. I think of God, I groan. I meditate. My spirit becomes weak. You have kept me from closing my eyes. I am troubled. I cannot speak. The husband found some footing in his mind to stand on, to cry out, birthed from a heart racked with pain, a heart wrestling with the loss of a child, and what he thought he knew about God. God, you're either who you say you are, or I'm out. This is too much. This is not how it's supposed to turn out. I consider days of old, years long past. At night, I remember my music, I meditate in my heart, and my spirit ponders, will the Lord reject forever and never again show favor? Has his faithful love ceased forever? Is his promise at an end for all generations? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? So I say, I am grieved that the right hand of the Most High has changed. After a pause, through the pain, the grief, the loss, I were rolling over the husband and wife like waves. At peace began to dilute the despair in the husband's heart. He continued his prayer. I can't reject you. I won't. I'll remember what you have done. I'll remember who you are. I will remember how you have carried me in the past. I'm all in, God. I will remember the Lord's works. Yes, I will remember your ancient wonders. I will reflect on all you have done and meditate on your actions. God, your way is holy. What God is great like you. You are the God who works wonders. You revealed your strength among the peoples. With power you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. The water saw you, God. The water saw you. It trembled. Even the depths shook. The clouds poured down water. The storm clouds thundered. Your arrows flashed back and forth. The sound of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Lightning lit up the world. The earth shook, it quaked. Your way went through the sea, your path through the vast water, but your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. You see, we are never more aware of our frailty than when hardship comes our way. Mark Rogop penned that in his book, Dark clouds, deep mercy. You see, voicing our pain through lament is like lancing an infected wound or having a surgical procedure. 
The procedure in and of itself does not heal the wound, but it helps set our hurting hearts on the right course. Then just like that correct diet, that physical therapy and the medicine can help with the correct and healthy healing process of our physical bodies, so does prayer, meditating on scripture and resolving to trust and praise our Lord and Savior help heal our hurting hearts. So this morning, we will continue our series on lament. We'll be in Psalm chapter 77 as I hope many of you have been the last couple weeks. I pray these last couple of weeks have been the beginning of some healing, greater faith, and even an increase of praise of Jesus Christ as you've studied and meditated on Psalm 77 and Psalm 13. Before continuing on the first element of lament, which is prayer, let me do a quick review. It's been a couple weeks. We've slept a few times. What is a lament? Well, one out of every three songs and poems in the book of Psalms is a lament. We defined it using Mark Rogop's definition. An honest cry of a hurting heart that is wrestling with the paradox of pain and the promise of God's goodness. It's an honest definition. And then we looked at the purpose of lament. I mean, why would we want to go through this painful process? Not many people I know want to have surgery. It's the results on the other side of it that we want. What are we attempting to accomplish by lamenting? The purpose of lament is to pray, birthed from that place of pain, in order to increase our faith in and praise of our Lord and Savior. And then we looked at what the three main categories that lament is filed under what we find ourselves lamenting over. The first being grief or loss. Because grief is not tame, as Mark also said. And if you've experienced grief, you know this. It overwhelms you at some of the most inconvenient times. And when you set aside time to think, I'm going to grieve and work through this, it doesn't happen. <laughs> Story of my life. And while we explore the elements that will help us in the process of lamenting, there is not a tried and true formula. And nor is there a set timeline that we can count on of having completed the process. For some of us, over some things we lament, we may continue this process until the day that God ceases giving this temporary body breath and gives us eternal life in heaven. The second thing, the second category that we should lament over is oppression or injustice. God is just. Therefore, he abhors injustice done to those whom he has created, his image bearers, regardless of race, culture, skin color, socioeconomic class. Some would say it's worse than death that have experienced it. And Ecclesiastes 4.2 confirms that. Third, there's sin. The sin that we commit because of the offense it is to God. And then the sin that affects other people. That we commit and it affects other people. Or the sin that others uh, commit and it affects us. 
Because when we sin, it diminishes the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made on the cross on our behalf. It is a, it is a, it is a strike against the nature and character of God. Because sin is the single most destructive problem for mankind, as an author and theologian has stated. So, lamenting is a process, a journey, that if done correctly, will steer us toward a greater faith in God and praise in Him. Because I'm here to tell you, having gone through many things and And until I die, no doubt we'll have many more things to go through, and some of you more than me. Without it, our faith won't increase. Without it, our understanding of his love and grace for us will not grow deeper. Without it, our roots will not continue to strengthen and go deeper without the pain. And so in God's grace and mercy, he allows us to go through this. Yes, it originated when the world was fallen, as we talked about last week or two weeks ago, because of sin, because of brokenness. We weren't designed and created to have to go through this, but because of this and God's mercy, he uses it for his glory and our benefit, as it says in Romans 8, 28. So our first response in lamenting is prayer. And we see this in psalm after psalm after psalm. Yet all too often, it's not our first response to pray. But if we had an issue with our bank account, we would most likely contact the bank, right? If we had an issue with our utility bill, we would most likely contact the utility company as opposed to our friend across town. And if we had an issue with somebody we hired to help us around the house or do some construction or something along those lines, and there was an issue with it, we would go to them, right? And yet, we don't go to prayer and pray to God sometimes. I mean, why, why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we want to go to the wonderful counselor, the comforter? when we experience that grief or loss? Why wouldn't we go to the one who is just, the Prince of Peace, when we are oppressed? Why wouldn't we go to the merciful Savior, the gracious Redeemer, when we sin or are affected by the sin of others? I think there's one primary reason, and that's our pride. You see, we have pride when we think we don't need help. We can tend to think we have it all figured out. You know, those of us who don't read the instructions first. And so we ruin what it was and then we have to buy another one or ask for help and it doesn't turn out like it was supposed to. Most of life isn't like Legos where you just take it back apart and put it back together right. So we ask for help as a last resort. Tony Merida A pastor, author, and seminary professor recently put it like this. Prayerlessness is like saying, I don't need God. Now, many of us might find ourselves not praying as often as we should, but I bet those same 
few of us would also not say, I don't need you, God. We wouldn't necessarily be so bold. But that's exactly what we're saying with our actions. And then, as much as I hate to personally admit this as well, when we are too busy or distracted to pray, we're saying, God, I don't need you. Because what I'm busy and distracted with is more important than you. We have pride when we think God wouldn't want to help. Anybody been there? My sin is bigger than God's forgiveness. No, my sin, what I committed, is the worst. He won't forgive this one. Well, I want to be sensitive to the place that our hearts and minds be at that moment. How arrogant for any one of us to think that we could do something that God can't overcome. The whole reason Jesus Christ came to earth and lived a perfect sinless life, humbling himself to like what he created, something we could never even fathom or understand. I made a mud pie, so I'm going to become like it. I mean, that's in a sense what, we're, what he did. I wouldn't sign up to be a mud pie. I don't know about you. But he did, and he went to the cross on our behalf, willingly. And when we think that that was not enough, we're saying, God, my sin's bigger than you. And we also have pride when we think that we are entitled to help. God, this shouldn't be this way. You're supposed to bail me out here. It's the danger of the prosperity gospel, the health, wealth, and happiness gospel that is rampant and false. The gospel that says that if I just have enough faith, then God will do this. And it's subjecting God to a vending machine. That if I put in enough quarters of faith, then God's going to spit out the snack that I want. I'm sorry, but if you look at those verses that they base that on and you compare it to the context of the whole word of God, you'll realize how false it is. Jesus suffered and died. God, if it's your will, take this cup from me, sweating drops of blood. Do we think that Christ did not have enough faith? What about the Apostle Paul? I don't know about you, but I'm not going to sign up and think that I'm in his league. And God would not take that thorn away from his flesh that he talked about. What about Job? Just because to glorify my name, said God, you will go through hell and back. It's not because Job blew it. Wrestle with that if you're tempted to believe the prosperity gospel. We should not be entitled to help. Some say the root of all sin is pride, and I do agree with that. So God, in his infinite mercy, 
and his steadfast loving kindness because he cares about the big picture and the big game, the long run. He will ordain like he did for Job and allow for us to experience pain in our lives so that we can better understand our frailty because pride is always fighting against that in our hearts. It is always there tempting us to not think that we need God. That is that sin nature that we have inside of us, born. We are born with because of the fall, because of that first sin. Adam and Eve who had everything, the perfect garden, still chose to go with the one thing that God said don't do. One. (laughs) And they were walking with him in the cool of the garden. No mosquitoes. I mean, did they even sweat back then? Every day, the perfect 72 degrees with just the perfect humidity in the air. Birds aren't pooping on you. I mean, think about it. And they did the one thing. Our hearts are prone to wander, prone to leave the God we love. Look at Psalm 77 again with me. Verse 1, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. I sought the Lord in my day of trouble. My hands were continually lifted up all night long. I refuse to be comforted. I think of God. I groan. I meditate. My spirit becomes weak. Selah. The psalmist here is praying as his first response to pain. And as he continues to pray, please note this, that the situation is not resolved. The pain that he's expressing and feeling is not buttoned up with the storybook ending. So while all of us love a good ending at the end of a show or a movie where everything buttons up nice and they live happily ever after, God can provide that in this life, but it is not guaranteed this side of heaven. It is guaranteed in heaven for all eternity. And when we are on the right frame of mind, that will be enough. A temporary six years, like the young girl that passed away this last week in our county, or 90 years or whatever God gives us. Temporary compared to eternity. And he is still clearly wrestling. You have kept me from closing my eyes. I am troubled and cannot speak. And yet, here's the shift. He's beginning to turn his focus from himself, which if we stay there, we're not on a journey of lament. Okay? We start there because that's what we know and what we do. We're human. But it's got to shift from ourselves to God and to others, and he begins to shift from his pain to the Lord here in verse 5. I consider days of old, years long past. I, at night, I remember my music. I meditate in my heart and my spirit ponders, starting to shift towards the Lord. Will the Lord reject forever 
and never again show favor? Has his faithful love ceased forever? Still, bold questions flowing out of the pain of his heart. Is this promise at an end for all generations? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Anybody felt that? I have. Honestly, have we not felt that at some point? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? Honest, pain-filled questions, voicing them to the one who can answer them. To the one who is the answer. Todd Billings says this in his book, Rejoicing in Lament, about the psalmist voicing those painful questions to God in prayer. It is precisely out of trust that God is sovereign, that the psalmist repeatedly brings laments and petitions to the Lord. If the psalmist had already decided the verdict, that God is indeed unfaithful, they would not continue to offer their complaint. That feels like affirmation to me. And even more so, the Psalms and the Book of Lamentations that (laughs) boldly, honestly expresses it. What questions did you voice over the last couple weeks? Have you prayed and studied and journaled in this chapter or Psalm 13? What questions did you have for God? Maybe still a little too scared to. I get that. If you have not, I encourage you to do so. It does take courage. Several conversations two weeks ago after the service about, I don't know if I like what you're doing in this series, Matt. (laughs) Believe me, I know. I've had to be wrestling with this a little longer than you right now. (laughs) And still am. And this week, getting some news about some very dear friends going through an unimaginable circumstance. Added to it, I'm like, okay, God, you usually get me, have me run through the ringer on a series I'm preaching on and how I need to learn it. But it's like, God, don't I already have enough stuff to lament over in my life right now? Let's not, let's not add to it. See, remember, God is not afraid of our questions. He is not offended by our honest and humble complaints. And yet it can feel unnatural to do this, to pray when we are hurting, frustrated, even angry, to pray about grief, about losing someone close to us. It's not a weakness in faith to ask these questions. Because it's a journey towards greater faith and praise. If we stop there, then yes. To pray about suffering, oppression, and persecution, and even the consequences of sin. I don't care where you stand politically, there's a tragedy happening to the immigrants on the border and how they're being treated. They are human beings, image bearers of God. And we can be prideful and arrogant and say, well, they shouldn't have tried to break into our country. Or we could say, 
God, I pray that they would see you there. I pray, God, that their needs would be met. I pray that the children would not be separated from their families. I pray, God, that their facilities would be humane. What is their story of why they felt the need to risk their life in jail to come here? Yeah, there's the bad ones. There are. But what about the others? Did the children have a say? Let's be wise and gracious as we express our political opinions on this, especially on social media, guys. We will be held accountable for every word we speak, and I bet and would wager every post we share and every comment we make online. Let us love the people. Yes, we should have boundaries and rules in place. I'm not saying that. But if they're here already, how can they be loved and shown Christ? Because the gospel is primary and most important. Look at the truth. Look at the truth of this going to God in prayer, of sharing our laments with Him. In Hebrews chapter 4, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is able to sympathize, or we do have a high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. He has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Now, I'm going to read this again for two reasons. I stumbled in the middle of it. The other reason is that sometimes when we hear a passage that's familiar, we tune out and go, I know this. Tune back in. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. That's our salvation. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we, meet, we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Because of Jesus Christ, we can confidently approach the throne of God in prayer as it said in verse 16. He passed through the heavens referencing the gospel, which means he came through heaven to earth as a man, living a perfect sinless life, went to the cross to pay for our sin. You're like, yeah, Matt, I've heard you say this just about every week. I'm going to keep saying it because I have to remind myself of this every day and I bet you do too. And listen, in our pain and suffering, this is the most anchoring truth 
for us to hold on to. If he never fixes our body, if he never heals the wound of grief or loss, if he never restores the relationship, if our finances never get out of the black, if whatever, maybe red, I forget the colors. Red, thank you, Tony. Can count on him. If our finances never get out of the red, this side of heaven, the truth is, Jesus loved us so much that even after we blew it, before we looked at him or chose him, he came and died for us. And that truth, that good news, that gospel is enough. And yet, oftentimes, as we know, as is written on our hearts, wanting that storybook ending, which is heaven for us, as we know, God can still do amazing blessings on top of that. They are over and above our salvation. When our food and clothing and housing is paid for, when our finances are not in the red, when a relationship is restored, when oppression ceases. When sin is repented of and healing begins, those are bonus. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the anchor to our hurting hearts. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the answer. Did you guys catch the last couple of verses of Psalm 77 in your studies and reading? Did you, did you explore a little bit further what that was referencing and why that was significant? 19 and 20, your way went through the sea, your path through the vast water, but your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. You see, for God's people, that was the single most significant redeeming act that they knew about. And so that is why it is always referenced back to that. That was their gospel of the time, of where God went in and saved them and brought them out to the promised land. A foreshadowing of the greater gospel of Jesus Christ, where he forgave us of our sins. And so this was theirs. So when you see that in the Psalms, then constantly reference to that. Insert the cross for us today since we have the Old and the New Testament together. You can't tell me the gospel is not in the Old Testament. It began in Genesis 1.1. Because of Jesus Christ, we can confidently approach God in prayer and we have a Savior who can empathize with us when we pray when we cry out from our hurting hearts, if you have ever shared a deep wound or hurt with somebody and they listened well and they affirmed your pain and they offered to help and were there and showed up to help how they could afterward, is that not a huge blessing? I mean, that is the body of Christ at work right there. 
And if you have ever shared that hurt, that pain, and somebody doesn't, it's kind of like for them listening to the weather report and they move on. It almost hurts worse, doesn't it? But guys, we have a Savior who empathizes lovingly and perfectly every single time. He's not a God that is detached and inactive in our lives. He is a God that has walked in our shoes, that has experienced betrayal, that has experienced oppression, that has experienced grief and loss, that has experienced the ramifications of other sins against him. Hello, the cross. A father whose son was abused and mutilated. We have a God and a Savior who can empathize with everything that we go through and we feel perfectly. He remembers all of our tears, as it says in Psalms 56.8. He comforts those who mourn, as he promises in Matthew 5.4. He heals the brokenhearted, as it says in Psalms 147.3. He will always respond perfectly to our heart cries birthed from pain. Because of Jesus Christ, we can confidently approach God in prayer. Because of Jesus Christ, we have a Savior who can empathize with us in every way when we pray. And then as it proclaims in 1 Peter 1, 3-4, we have hope in future grace, which anchors us in the storm. We have a future where there will no longer be the need to lament. A future that is pain-free. Not just physically. That's minimal compared to the emotional pain. In my opinion. A future without grief, without loss. There There will be no more death. Living in the gracious, loving presence of God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit forever exploring the wonders and mysteries of him can you imagine (laughs) short rabbit trail can you imagine understanding a new level of love that God has for us and just when you think you've experienced it all there's another level and then There's another level. There's shadows of that here as we grow in our faith in him. But imagine getting to do that without the need of our pride needing to be knocked down over and over and over. I can't wait. Revelation 21, 3 and 4. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his peoples and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. 
Guys, you're going to hear that passage a couple more times in this series because we need to be reminded of our future to keep our present in context. Let me say that again. We need to be reminded of our future so that we can keep our present in context. So as we continue this journey of lament together in this series, let us first respond to our hurts, our pain, our suffering with prayer. Lifting up our hearts and voices, our hands all night long if need be, to the one who has the answer, to the one who is the answer. And please, please, please don't forget that this is a process, a journey, not a stopping point. And it's pointing us and steering us towards a greater faith in our Lord and Savior and a greater praise of who he is and what he's done. It's a simple definition of worship. God can and does provide resolution to our pain on earth, though it is not guaranteed on this side of heaven. But he can. And he often does. But he does promise and guarantee to love with us, to walk with us, to provide peace for us, to give us the wisdom and strength we need to endure. And he never, ever wastes our pain. Pain is too precious to be wasted. And he never wastes it. So over the next two weeks, keep, keep up your study. Keep up your prayer. Continue journaling. And scriptures over the next two weeks to meditate on, to study, Psalms 10 and Lamentations 1 and 2. When you read Lamentations 1 and 2, you can be like, Matt, are you trying to make us depressed? I'm not. There's a purpose. Psalms 10, Lamentations 1 and 2. And of course, feel free to continue in 77 and 13 of Psalms. Listen, I want to be respectful for those watching our kiddos. Respectful of your, your uh, time. But we have a video where actually a friend of mine wrote a song where he sings Psalm 77. And I just want this to be a safe space that as we do this series, that you have the freedom to stay and pray if you need to. If I don't get out of here and go eat lunch till two o'clock because this is a place that you need to stay and pray, that's, praise God, I'll do it. I have Kurt and Kayleen in the very back there. They are prayer warriors and they love to pray with others if you need somebody to pray with you. I know that Tony is willing as well. And I know that the Dukes are willing as well. And others I know would be willing. If you just need and want somebody to pray with you or for you or over you, I will, of course. Grab them during this time. But Elijah, could you just have the lights not about communion level? How's that? Then people can still see if they need to step out and grab their kiddos or move on. But as you leave, wait to start visiting till you hit the lobby, if you would. 
I want this to be a safe place, a welcoming place that you can just take this moment to continue your cry to God, to continue your journey of increased faith in Him and praise of Him. If I don't see you after, God bless you in your life.